Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from Colossians chapter 3. And as we begin, it's like my favorite, least favorite question. Why? And usually it depends on the setting. Usually it depends on the context. When, you know, Wednesday evening, we've got a catechism class with about a half a dozen kids who are in like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth grade. And we're going through, at least right now, some Bible history. And there usually is a question somewhere in there. Well, pastor, why? Like last week, we looked at the account of David and Bathsheba, and then the following chapter, where God sent the prophet Nathan to David. And the question, the big question on the whole lesson, why did God record this chapter, these two chapters for us in the Bible? And that's kind of a fun question. That's the kind of question that makes you say, well, let's think about this a little bit. And, and as a teacher, it's actually fairly easy to handle. Um, one child asks me, and then I turn around and I ask the whole class, and I'll say, I'll give you like two minutes. Can you try to think of an answer? And maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. That in, in that setting, it's a question that leads to deeper learning. It's a question that the children get to contemplate, usually with a parent, whichever parent brought them. And it's a question that will lead them and shows that, that there's more going on, that the wheels are turning. In other settings, it's a little bit, little bit different kind of a question. Sometimes, you know, when the, the child starts to reach, I don't know, about age three, then they, they are thinking things through a little bit more. And rather than just going through the rote routine of, we always, for instance, you know, put on pants and boots and a jacket before we go outside, then you get questions, well, why? Why do I have to um, wear boots and a jacket when I'm going outside? Why can't I just run around in my diaper outside? Why can't I wear shorts? And the questions may go on. Um, completely anonymous, of course, right? And that's entertaining in its own right. And it's a joy in its own right. Until the child wants to and maybe this was your experience growing up, the child wants to push back against what the parent wants. The parent says, this is what I want you to do, and the child, whether you're talking 3, 13, 23, the child says, why? Why, Mom? Why, Dad? I don't have to do that anymore. And the question is a little bit different. That question of why, no matter the setting, um, that question of why is always one of the more um, interesting questions to ask. And it was about um, 14 years ago, there's this guy uh, named Simon. Simon is his first name, Simon Sinek. Chances are you may have heard of him, and if you haven't, don't worry about it. He wrote a book that was revolutionary to the business world and organizational leadership kind of thing, um, entitled Start With Why. And his main idea was if you want people in your, your business to understand what they're doing and to do it better, then you need to start by answering that question, why? If you tell them that we're just making our widgets so that we make our widgets and that we make a profit, then they'll say, all right, I'm just a widget maker. But if you, and you'll see this in all the advertising now, if you start with, well, we make widgets because they will make people's lives better. 
because they'll get more life out of their years and more years out of their life. And you, Mr. Widget Maker, are going to be the one to make that happen. Then all of a sudden, it's not just punching the clock and making widgets. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this product, or whatever it happens to be, this product is something that is life-changing. And I have, a, I have a place in changing somebody else's life. Whether it's a question that we get from catechism kids, from three-year-olds, uh, from three-nagers or teenagers, or the questions that we are subtly answered in all the advertising around us, that question of why is a major question. And even though Simon Sinek wrote his book for businesses in 2009, probably after giving some TED talk, it wasn't a new idea. It wasn't a revolutionary idea. All he had to do was read Paul's letters. All he had to do was look at Colossians. And you would see. Paul spent the first two and a half chapters telling why. All the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ bodily. You have been raised with Jesus. In the person and work of Jesus, all of God's righteous demands were nailed to the cross and you have been acquitted. All Simon Sinek had to do was look at, uh, look at the book of Colossians and he would see that the Apostle Paul starts with why. He starts with why before he moves on to how do we live and what shall we do. He starts with the same question that the, uh, the catechism kids ask, that the, that the three-year-old asks, that the teenager asks as they grow up, and the, the question that will persist through um, pretty much all of our lives, I suppose. He starts with that question of why. And he spent over two and a half chapters answering that exact question with the same basic answer, Jesus. 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 That this Jesus, who is he? He is true God and true man. That this Jesus cared about you so deeply that even if you had been the only one, he went to the cross for you. That this Jesus has brought his life so personally and individually that just as water running off the head of a baptism, just as the taste on the tongue at the table, that is the, the power, the truth, and the resurrection of Jesus brought into your life. And so Paul starts with why. And now finally, in chapter 3, he gets into, well, what now? Or how should we live? But that order is important. Because the rest of the world would want, just give me all the how, give me what should I do, how should I live? And in an external way, we could do that. Well, what should I do? The easy one, drive the speed, well, drive the speed limit. I don't know if that's the easy one or not, but it's uh, simple enough. Here's what you should do. You need to drive 25 through here, and you need to drive only 20 over there when the lights are flashing for the school zone. How should I live? What should I do? Love your neighbor. Love your God. How should I live? What should I do? Put in an honest day's work and love, honor, and respect those in your life. But Paul doesn't start there. Because when he finally gets to those questions of what and how, the, the answer is still an answer of, of why. 
Because that, that answer of why that he began with in the first part of Colossians and that he's going to continue through the end of Colossians is an answer that is completely foreign to you and to me. It doesn't come naturally. You know the things that come naturally, like maybe you naturally um, use your right hand for eating and drinking, for driving and writing. Maybe you naturally um, you know, walk a little bit with a little bit long, longer stride on one side than the other. Maybe you naturally um, you know, fill in the blank. Just the normal things that we go about and we do every day. Maybe you naturally flinch when you see something coming out of the corner, corner of your eye like a, like a reflex. All these sort of things that come naturally. And what and how comes naturally too. The what and the how of, well, just tell me what to do, just tell me how to do it, and then get out of my way so that I don't have to worry about it. That if Paul had started with what and and there's going to be some benefit when we do what is correct, and we act in a way that is in line with God's law. That what and how come naturally, but why does not. This, this statement of why is a, is a foreign statement. It is something that does not come naturally. It is something that does not remain implanted in our hearts. And the truth of it is so, so beyond belief that it is almost inconceivable. The truth of why is so far beyond our experience that it is easily forgotten or dismissed as of, of little power and little value. And so Paul continues, not just starting with why, but he continues with the discussion of why. That's where he starts in, in verse 1. Therefore, because you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the, the hint, um, it's usually in Paul's letters, that you get a lot of that therefore, like in verse 1. The question you always have to ask, what's it there for? It's an easy one to remember. Well, what's it there for? Um, Paul is drawing in, bringing in this question of why and his answer of why. His answer that you have been raised with Christ. The answer that in your baptism, you were given a new life. That it's not just some recollection, some memory of past events. And that it's not just some symbolic dedication to God. But that in baptism, God gives spiritual life in a way that is inconceivable to the world around us, but in a way that is true, just as true in your life. That when he starts with why, he starts again with the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought into your life as well. This completely foreign idea, this idea that does not come naturally to us, to you or to me, this truth, that before we even get to what to do or how to do it, that we have to come back once more to this unending fountain of why. This unending grace of Jesus. And then he's going to go on to say some, some pretty strong statements about how we ought to live and what we ought to do. 
And even as you read through that, and perhaps as we read through this earlier, and no doubt at some point there was, um, there was a twinge of, of the conscience. Anywhere in there. Take your pick. Forgive as others forgave you? Huh, can't do that. Live with others in, in love and respect? Oh boy. Treat each other in a way that reflects the way that God has treated you with, with grace and understanding? Huh, that's hard. Doesn't, doesn't my Lord know the length of time that I've had this relationship? Doesn't my Lord know the, the burden that I personally carry? Doesn't my Lord know the pain that is in my heart? And what he says and how I should live sound like too much. Because Paul goes on there in chapter 3 for 25 verses. And that's why he says that we have to start with why. Because if it were up to you and to me, the person and work of Jesus is utterly foreign to us. If it were up to you and to me, Jesus would quickly be pushed to the side and just give me a list of the things that I want to do and give me the ability to keep track so that I know when I have done enough on this particular day. But he starts with why. To say that God has already begun this good work in me. That the power of your baptism still persists. That the Jesus who came to earth as a baby, who went to the cross, who went through death and the resurrection and ascended, that that same Jesus is pulling you along through your life by the power of your resurrection. To do all these things that he talks about here. That he uses himself and his gifts. He uses his sacraments and his promises to pull you along in exactly the what and the how and the why of your life too. In a way that Jesus started with why. And so when Paul writes this in chapter 3, he doesn't just start with why and then say, oh, this is why, and now here's the next thing, and then here's the final thing that you need to do. He says, all throughout the chapter, here is the string, here's the thread that ties this all together. Here's the rope that Jesus uses to pull you along, and that is himself, his completed work, brought to your life personally and individually. And so that's why a little bit later in the, into the chapter, about halfway through, he has that little bit about um, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to, to one another with gratitude in your hearts to God. That, yeah, Paul knows a thing or two about, um, about rejoicing. But also Paul knows a thing or two about, about the way that people live and the way that people learn. You can think of... Um, Think of a favorite tune, whether it's uh, the Beatles, maybe that's an easy one because that's probably familiar to, to most everybody. Something about she wants to hold your hand. And then maybe you remember that tune and then all of a sudden it's cycling through your, through your mind. And that was their first big hit of the, the British invasion when the Beatles landed in America and there's like John Paul, George, and Ringo rocking out with their terrible haircuts. But you can almost hear the two. She wants to hold her hand in that whiny Paul McCartney voice. I'm sounding biased already. But you know it. Because it's, it's words that are tied to a tune. 
And God grant that the same sort of catchy tune would resonate in our own hearts and in our own minds. Of words of a, of a far greater value than even um, what Paul McCartney could write. Words like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Words like Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bands. Oh boy, I don't even know all the words for that one right offhand. Or the words of um, you know the, the first song that we're going to sing on Easter morning. Welcome, happy morning, age to age shall say. The words of, of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The words of maybe your, your own baptismal verse, or some of the verses that, um, that will be on the television screen in the fellowship hall each Sunday, kind of rotating through and reminding us that, that these words aren't dead words that are left outside of us. And they aren't just words of saying what to do and how to do it that these words are our life, because these words, which are otherwise foreign to our existence, these words tell us why. And through these words, Jesus brings his power into our lives again. And so Paul says, after he began with, therefore, because you were raised with Christ, what's it therefore? Uh, you were raised with Christ, therefore set your minds on things above. And then he goes on a little bit further. And he says in verse 16, as a result, well, verse 15 and 16, let the peace of Christ control your hearts to which you are also called in one body. Be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Why? Because our Lord doesn't want to leave the what and the how just up to whatever our minds can think of. That our Lord wants to know the what and the how of how shall we live and what should we do. But our Lord, most of all, wants to plant within your heart and to, for you and I to see that Jesus starts with why. He starts with himself as a, a, a line not just a sequence of events, but an arrow from one thing to the next, as he became incarnate for you, as he grew through all the stages of life for you, as he went to the cross for you, as he laid in your tomb, as he raised himself from the dead, as he gave the power of his resurrection into your life through holy baptism, and that that is what he uses and that same word that we rejoice in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is what he uses to pull you through life so that you see that Jesus didn't just start with why. Paul didn't just start with why. But that, that why is also our what and our how forever. Amen.